If you were concerned about record inflation up around 7%, especially this Christmas season when people are buying a lot of food and buying a lot of presents, I've got I can't say it's good news for you. It's just that the number to worry about is not the 7%. It's the the nearly 10% of wholesale inflation that we have seen. It's even worse than we were told it was going to be. Uh, this, as you're looking to buy your Christmas steak or presents for your loved one, all in this year that we were told was going to be a return to normalcy. The main argument for Joe Biden is he's good old Uncle Joe. He's moderate. He's been around forever. And we're going to return from normal after so many crazy years under Donald Trump. Some people predicted that things were going to be radical, including my friend, Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer was the 28th White House press secretary under Donald Trump. He wasn't the 28th one under Donald Trump, but he was the 28th White House press secretary and he was secretary under Donald Trump. He has a wonderful show, Spicer and Co., which I love watching and I love being on, by the way, as well. That is on Newsmax on weekdays. And he's the author of the new book, Radical Nation. Sean, thank you for coming on. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's always great to have you on the show as well. It's nice to, to trade places though and, and answer your questions. I feel so powerful. I really, <laughs> I really love this. But as a citizen, I don't feel very powerful right now because everything, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic, every single thing has gotten worse under Joe Biden. This is reflected in his poll numbers. He's underwater on every issue, including on COVID, which was the one issue that he was kind of above water on for a little bit. So how did the Biden administration turn out so radically differently than what we were told it was going to be? So two things. First, you know, to your point, I, I was I think it was last Sunday night. My wife and I took the kids. We were out at the grocery store at the top of our street, just getting some stuff, you know, picking up stuff. We'd already done grocery shopping for the for the rest of the week. And I'm sort of a, a lemon addict. I have lemons in the morning. I, have, I just it's become the new health thing, I guess. So. I, I keep getting told that you put lemon in everything, and apparently that'll make me um, skinny and healthy. So <laughs> anyway, I go to buy lemons, and I look at my wife. It was 99 cents a lemon. And now, granted, they were supposed to be the large lemons. And I'm like, holy smokes, when did lemons become 99 cents? But that just tells you. And then she was looking at something else that she had gotten on Thanksgiving. We were in the produce area, and she said, you know, when I was here for Thanksgiving, this was like $4.80. It's now $7.20. I mean, it, to your point, everything's becoming more expensive. But to your question, Michael, the reason I called it Radical Nation wasn't because Sean Spicer thought Joe Biden was going to be radical or the Daily Wire was saying that Joe Biden. It's because during the presidential campaign, Joe Biden pledged to be the most progressive president ever. Mm. He said it. Mm. No one took him seriously. And I and mostly people on the right. And that you had all of these establishment right-wingers coming out and saying, I've known Joe Biden, he's in the Senate, he's a pragmatist, he's a moderate, he's an institutionalist. But Biden understood something that I don't think we all appreciated, which he understood legacy. And then if you're only gonna get four years, which let's be honest, that's what's gonna happen, that you can either try to accomplish a great deal or you can do a great deal that cements your legacy. One of the first things I write about in the book is this meeting he had in the cabinet room with all of these liberal historians talking about how to outdo FDR. And so you've seen him not through action in policy, although that's part of it, but through appointment, 
Kamala Harris, the first woman of color, Pete Buttigieg, the first LGBTQ person to lead a department, not in the cabinet, which was Grinnell, but to lead a department. And all of these things, first transgender force star, because all of these things allow him to say, I was more progressive, I was more liberal, I was more radical Hmm. than anybody else. And we missed it. And I think that we've got to make sure that we understand his goal so that we can continue to protect the country. This is a great point because I, the, the reason that I never believed the whole Biden's a moderate, he's going to be a return to normal thing, is that I think Joe Biden's political ideology involves licking his index finger. When he gets up in the morning, he puts it in the air, figures out whichever way the wind is blowing, that's going to be Joe Biden's view that day. I, the man, I, I, I don't say it to be mean, but he, he is as empty a suit as I have ever seen in American politics. But but what you're suggesting is a little more than that, which is it's, it's wonderful to become president. But if you become one of those presidents that are just totally forgotten, Wi- William Henry Harrison, I don't know, there are not a lot of post offices to William Henry Harrison. Th- that's, that's almost worse than never being president at all. Yes. And so you've got, you've got to accomplish something. And he is doing a lot of things. They just appear to be backfiring. Well, but if you understand, if you're 78 years old and you you know enough, and first of all, it's funny that you mentioned the policy stuff. There's a whole chapter in the book that I love about his position on being pro-life. I mean, he started off as a big defender of Roe, uh, of life and talking right. about life begins at conception and Roe was wrongly decided. And now suddenly he doesn't remember all of those quotes he gave to Catholic newspapers in Delaware when he was a senator. But look, he... He understands I'm 78 years old. I'd be 82 when I ran. I'm way too old to begin with now. And so if I do a bunch of stuff, and again, I think the policy is part of it, packing the court, making D.C. a state, expanding government, allowing illegals to vote. All of that is part of it. But the one thing that you can't take away from if nothing else gets passed, and I think some of it will, he can at least say I appointed all of these people. And he is the North Star for progressive leftists forever saying, well, Biden appointed the first woman of color to VP. What will you do? He appointed the first transgender four star. What will you do? Hmm. And so now Biden has become the left wing bar, just as FDR Hmm. has been for the last several decades. How do you outdo FDR? How do you grow the government? Well, he has now sort of realized I need to outdo FDR, but in my own way, in a way that I don't have to rely on policy. That's very perceptive because it reminds me, and I had forgotten this, that Joe Biden actually jumped Barack Obama on the issue of redefining marriage. Before Obama was, we forget now, but every Democrat was vehemently opposed to redefining marriage. And then in in 2011, uh, right around 2011, before the 2012 campaign, Biden came out and said, I'm I'm for gay marriage. And and then Obama finally came out with it as well. So there is this idea, if if I can't actually accomplish anything, I'm at least going to be the new bar. I'm going to be the furthest out there. On this issue of pro-life, I'd love to get your opinion because you've been around DC a long time. You're a fellow mackerel snapping papist, such as myself. Uh, You're very pro-life. Joe Biden and the entire Democrats have given up any even pretense of being pro-life at this point. On the court, though, we just heard the oral arguments in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. This could overrule Roe versus Wade. If you were a gambling man, Sean, what do you think happens in this case? So my personal view is I think that what they're going to do is thread the needle. Hmm. You saw Kavanaugh give commitments to, to Susan Collins of Maine during his confirmation process. 
And so I think what they want to do is stay consistent to their commitments and to the precedent that the court has set. But what they're going to say is that this new law is consistent. It's saying that that the states have the right to do something up to the point of viability where science takes us or technology, which is what it is now. So therefore, they're just going to allow the bar to move down hmm. to say 15 weeks is the new bar. Hmm. But I think that they're not going to overturn Roe. They're just going to move the bar and say that what Texas, I mean, what Mississippi did, and then subsequently we'll talk about Texas, but what Mississippi did is consistent with Roe because hmm. All it's doing is moving the bar, if you will, with with technology and science. It's not taking the role of of the federal government. It's not it's not unprotecting it. I just now maybe maybe somehow you get a majority vote, and, and I'm wrong on this. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a SCOTUS watcher, but I think that the commitments those guys made in their confirmation process. They've got to find a way to thread that needle. So that's what I believe will happen. Well, you can certainly see Chief Justice Roberts trying, doing everything he can in that, in the oral arguments to try to figure out some way. Well, but hold on. Is it, it's 15 weeks. It's not viability, but is there a, please, please lawyers, give me some way to uphold the law while not overruling Roe. Yeah. And I think that that's, he's, but look, he would give us, you know, the sixth vote. I think we've got five. Hmm. Um, so the, I think there's no question, but but one of the things that we on the right need to do, and Lindsey Keith, you mentioned my show at six o'clock on Newsmax, we've had these conversations off and on, is I think we need to get ahead of the decision because the mm. left is going to try to define whatever it is as an overturning of Roe v. Wade and the end of abortion. Even if Roe is overturned, that's not the end of abortion. I mean, Gavin Newsom just declared California a sanctuary state, right. right, where people can come and have abortions at will, God willing. I mean, it's disgusting. God but, forbid, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but but the point is, is that all Roe did was codified at the federal level. Undoing Roe would just say there's nothing that it doesn't have anything to do with abortion. It has to do with who has the ability to regulate it. And in this case, it would be thrown back to the states, which right. it should be. Right. This this is an important point, because for all the fear mongering from the left, uh, overrule of Roe versus Wade would change abortion laws in a number of states, but then you would have, say, California or New York saying we're going to be sanctuaries, which would then raise the prospect of interstate commerce, and maybe there would be another federal case about about pro-life there. So, w- one of the arguments I've heard from cynical Republicans, who maybe they're pro-life, maybe they're not pro-life, but they say, you know, regardless of what happens with Roe, the only bad thing is it's going to hurt us in the midterms. Because if they do overrule Roe, sure, it'll save millions of babies, but, you know, we might we might not win back as many House seats as we want. Do, now, is, is this a legitimate fear? Do you think that it, an overruling of Roe could, could harm us in 2022? Or are we, do we have so much momentum behind us that the House is ours? Well, first, no. Secondly, if you want to run for office and can't stand for your convictions and get out of the game, um, if you can't sit there and say, I am a proud supporter of life, I will do what I can to defend it and message it well, then get out of the business. You're bad. I don't want people who can't defend it. Um, I think, frankly, there's too many people that defend it that do a bad job do it. I'd rather have people who can get up there and explain it well and talk about I, I listened to Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi uh, a few weeks ago. He did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Um, there are ways, and, and I think the work that Susan B. Anthony List um, has been doing with these ads, explaining from doctors how technology has evolved so that what we saw in a, in a um, sonogram back in 1973 isn't close to what we can see now. The viability of life has clearly uh, improved vastly. Uh, weeks 
in terms of uh, viability. Um, and so I think we should be talking about that. We should be promoting adoption. There's a lot of things that the folks on the right should be doing ahead of that decision because in some way, shape or form, the decision will somehow create a new debate, um, even if it didn't get over. I mean, no matter what tinkering it does. And so we should start now. We know the decision is likely to come down in June. So let's get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to run for rep- office as a Republican and you can't stand up and say, I support life and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And even if it means losing my seat, then I don't want you representing the Republican Party. Well, on uh, here, here, totally agree. On this issue of the elections, I guess this does kind of bring us back to the book, Radical Nation, which is regardless of the issue of abortion, and a lot of polls show that people actually are not all that motivated by support of abortion rights. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's the other thing. There's this false premise. Um, Thank you for mentioning this because there's this sense that somehow as an issue, it's a loser. I don't believe that. It's also, so when you look at polls, I spent most of my life in the campaign world, and there's an issue, there's a there's a big decision between whether it, whether you care about the issue and whether you will vote on the issue. In other words, mm. if you're a single issue voter, then yes, that matters. But if you, abortion is one of 10 issues, like in other words, is abortion a huge issue for me? Yes. Do I support candidates who are pro-life? Yes. But at the end of the day, if it's a choice between a Democrat and a Republican, I'll still take the Republican. So in other words, it's not where Republicans miss this sometimes is they think somehow if I don't agree with the far left in the media, I'm going to lose. And that's not how it works. Right. That's a, that's a very important distinction. And I think the left knows it. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're reading these polls pretty, pretty closely. Now, on the subject of the polls, Joe Biden, as we mentioned earlier, is, is underwater. His approval rating is somewhere around 38%. Kamala Harris, incredibly, is worse. Her approval rating is somewhere around 27%, lower than Dick Cheney after after the Iraq war's worst days and after shooting a man in the face. So that's not good for her. Uh, You've got Buttigieg is very low. He's also around 37, 38%. The rest of the cabinet, really, really low. So okay, maybe Joe Biden will be written about in some history books as, as the new bar of leftism. Maybe he'll even get some post offices named after him. But, but what is the White House thinking right now, pushing policies that are so deeply unpopular that, that all, all of their numbers are in the gutter and it might kill them at the ballot box? So it's funny, I have a chapter in the book, chapter five, Kamala Harris, president in waiting. And I think this goes back to the point I made. Um, they chose her not because of her experience. If you think about it, you go back uh, Gore to Clinton, Cheney to Bush, uh, Biden to Obama, right? These are all vice presidents that were able to augment their yeah. president experience in government, in politics. Yeah. Kamala Harris had four years in the Senate. She yeah. was chosen because of the color of her skin and her gender. That's it. So she can't excel because she was she was pushed out by her own party in the primary process before Iowa. I mean, you're basically picking the team, the guy that gets cut in the first round, you're like, yeah, yeah, I want him to be the team captain. It doesn't, I mean, and then you wonder why you're like, hey, the guy can't hit. No kidding. You know, it's, it's you picked the worst person. Yeah. And then you wonder why their approval rating's at 28. I don't think it takes a course in political science to figure it out. The bottom line is you pick the loser. And, um, and so I'm not shocked by this. I don't know why anybody is shocked by this. But the reality is, is that um, they picked somebody who wasn't qualified to do it. And then the the policy piece, Michael, comes back to what we were talking about. It's not about popularity. Hmm. It's not about getting it done. It's about how do I cement this legacy? So hmm. if I pass, 
And remember, here's the dirty secret that everybody needs to remember. They're going to lose the House. Nancy Pelosi has already announced she's not running for re-election. So whether you lose the House by 5 or 20, who cares? They realize is that I want to pass these progressive things, trillions of dollars in spending that will addict people to government for future generations. I want to get more people to vote that are not in this country legally because it will affect future generations of democratic power. I can do all those things, and who cares? Katie, bar the door. I have 12 months to do them. I will become the most heralded left-wing politician, so win-win. This isn't about popularity and trying to, to win a re-election. This is about becoming the most progressive president ever. And, and I guess you see that even with the selection of Kamala Harris, because as you say, she was the first one out. She was deeply unlikable, uh, but now Joe Biden gets credit. He picked the first woman vice president and she's a woman of color. He had said during the campaign, I will pick a black woman to be vice president. So he, he had three choices in terms of prominent black women on his side in politics. He had Kamala Harris, uh, uh, Carol Bass, Karen, Karen Bass rather, who is uh, an actual communist, like actually has been a member of communist organizations and uh, Susan Rice, who was the fall man for Benghazi. So, so there was the one, you know, the one choice and she happened to be extremely unlikable and it, and it is going to, to harm them. But I, I suppose you're right. It's the, it's not just about the 2022 election or even the 2024 election. It's about the long game. It's a leg. It's about the legacy, right? It's, this is about how will I be remembered? And if, if we go down in history talking about all of this spending, and what it did to get people, because it's not just the spending, it's a bailout to trial lawyers, it's a bailout to the media. Remember, this is in Build Back Better. Billions of dollars to trial lawyers, billions to the media, billions to you know all of these other left-wing climate change stuff. So he will be the, that guy that I talked about, the North Star, that, well, hey, Biden did it. Biden got us this. Why can't you do it? Now, assuming that Kamala remains extremely unpopular and assuming that Joe Biden doesn't know what his name is half the time, what do you see? I don't want to make you pull out a crystal ball, but I sort of actually do want you to do that. What do you see happening for the Democrats in 2024? You have a pretty good track record calling what was going to happen under Biden. So what's going to happen next? So I, I under the current environment, I see Pete Buttigieg as the 2024 nominee. Yeah. Um, now, interestingly, and I just want to make sure people understand this, because in the book, I've got a chapter going through what I call Biden Inc., and Buttigieg is one of the people. And I talk about the fact that he's a 38-year-old mayor of a small town in Indiana, South Bend. It had 100,000 people and 66 buses. So he wasn't exactly the best choice to lead a department that oversees <laughs> our airways, seaways, and highways. That being said, the, the establishment left sees Buttigieg as the future. Hmm. He is articulate, good-looking. Uh, he's a veteran. He can really articulate positions well and, and, and debate well. Those are all things that are true. I don't doubt any of those. They look at him as the future. And because he's LBGTQ, he checks a box. He's not just a white dude, right? He can say that he's, you know, part of the minority. And so to them, uh, and, and everyone understands that Kamala Harris just doesn't have the qualities that endear herself to anybody. And therefore, um, you know, he to them, to, to these establishment folks in D.C. is the guy. And I, I think that, look, here's the dirty secret. All the money that was passed in the infrastructure bill, he gets to run around the country for the next three years being like, hey, it's me, Mayor Pete, with four billion dollars going into communities and talking about bridges and roads and helping them rebuild their communities. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better job if mm. you wanted to run for president in three years. That's 
extraordinarily perceptive because you wonder when was the last transportation secretary that, that we saw become president? Well, look at the build back better agenda. Look at what that really means. And, and literally, to, they, they like, they might as well start using funds to build floats for the guy. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be Buttigieg highway, Buttigieg bridge to replace all those racist bridges that, that Buttigieg was so angry about. And I think you're right that the man is Harvard educated gay and perfectly glib. He is the ruling class's ideal. I mean, he, is, he is their dream sort of candidate. And he's, he, like Biden, I suppose, probably doesn't believe a damn thing and is willing to lick his finger, put it up in the air and uh, figure which way the wind is blowing, which in the past four years, or rather the past year and for the total four years of the administration seem to be blowing pretty far to the left. If you want to read about it and a really spot on assessment and prediction of what has been going on when a lot of people got it wrong. You got to check out Radical Nation by Sean Spicer and Sean's excellent show, Spicer and Company, six o'clock on Newsmax. Sean, thank you, of course, for coming on. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it.